Raise your hand if you are an ultra-crepidarian. No ultra-crepidarians here? I was sure there would be some. Either you didn't raise your hand because you're not one or because you're less than familiar with what one is. So let me tell you what one is. An ultra-crepidarian is one who gives opinions on something beyond his or her knowledge. The story goes that the famous Greek painter of Apelles used to put his paintings where the public could see them while he would hide out of sight and listen to the comments that people made. Well, once he displayed a painting of Alexander the Great and a shoemaker noticed that one of Alexander's sandals was missing one loop. And so Apelles corrected the painting and added another loop. Well, the shoemaker made bold by the fact that the famous painter had taken his advice, decided to comment on other parts of the painting. The the leg, the thigh, the robes. Apelles reportedly said, Sutur ne ultra crepidam, shoemaker not above the sandal. In other words, don't comment on that which you know nothing about. Now, 2020 and beyond has exposed a lot of ultra-crepidarians. Experts in one area giving their opinions in areas beyond their expertise. For example, actors who become famous for their expert ability to deceive us on screen. By convincing us that they are people who, are, who they are not, suddenly they use their star power to weigh in authoritatively on matters medical, environmental, political, about which many of them know little and definitely are not expert. Likewise, people who become famous for their ability to play a game, to pass or receive or pitch or dunk, they weigh in publicly. And authoritatively on matters far beyond the scope of their athletic expertise. And cable news reporters. Well, we won't even (laughs) go there. It's both nauseating and annoying. (laughs) Not only to mention unhelpful to listen to someone opine or to instruct about what they do not know. So here's the thing. I don't want us to be gospel ultra Crepidarians. When you and I speak, when we opine, when we counsel, when we advise, it must not be with a shallow, cursory, glib gospel. No, we, we must understand the gospel deeply, the scope of it, the height of it, the depth of it, the width of it, the breadth of it, the complexities of applying the gospel to all of life, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, an expert in the gospel. So be it resolved in this new year that you and I become more and more expert in the gospel. In 2022, may ultra-crepidarianism be eradicated from among us so that the opinions we share and the counsel we offer comes from a deep understanding of who Christ is and who we are before him in this world. We must be experts 
and the good news of the gospel. And that's what I was to talk about as we return uh, once again this morning to Colossians chapter 1. So I ask you to take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you found your place, let's stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Let's pray together. Father in heaven, once again, we, from the, from the depths of our heart, give, give, us, give you thanks for your word, giving it to us, speaking to us, preserving us, preserving it for us, directing our lives by it. We pray now that once again, as always, you will be faithful to your promise to bless your word where it's read, where it's heard, and where it's preached. Do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. It's very fitting that on this very first Sunday in a brand new year, when our minds are already primed about how it is that we should order our lives, that we see Christ, He is first. In all that we've seen in this He Is Advent series, everything brings us back to that conclusion. God, in the very first commandment that He gave to Moses, said, You shall have no other gods before me. He must be first. We saw in verse 15, that Jesus is God and therefore he must be first. No thing, no one before him. And then to our ears and before our eyes, these verses in this chapter of Colossians exalt the primacy of Christ. I'm going to read through these firsts, not to exegete each one of them. We don't have time for that, but only to get the effect of hearing them. Verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. Verse 17, he is before 
all things. Of everything that is, Jesus is before it. He's first. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. First, primary in the church. Again in verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then all this firstness is summed up at the end of chapter, verse 18 with this word, that in everything, everything, Christ might be preeminent. And preeminent simply means this, to be first, to be first in rank, first in place. Oswald Chambers writes, your priorities must be God first, God second, and God third, until your life is continually face-to-face with God. What are your priorities? Listen, this is not going to be another guilt-ridden first Sunday of the New Year sermon where we with a sigh tell ourselves, okay, this year is going to be different. This year I'm going to try to make Christ first. No. Neither should we believe that this year Finally, we're going to do Jesus the favor of making him rank first. Please remember the depth of the theology at which we have looked in these past weeks, in these verses. Jesus is God. He doesn't need anything or anyone outside of himself. To complete himself or to make him feel fulfilled, he lacks nothing. He is completely self-sufficient and has within himself all the resources that he needs to be God and to do what God does. Nothing he does is God. Nothing he feels as God is contingent on anything that happens with us or in our world. He is not controlled by anyone or anything else. These we call the aseity and the impassibility of God. It's who Jesus is as God. And I remind us of those things so that as we stand at the head of a new year, we don't make Jesus into some poor, pitiful beggar pleading to be first in our lives. He is first, whether we make him so or not. So eliminate Scratch off making Jesus first because you think he needs you to make him first. He does not. You and I need to make him first because we understand who we are when he is not first. And when we know who we are and what we need, Jesus becomes not pitifully, but instead unpreventably first in our lives. Look in verse 21. And you... We're alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So let's get the flow. Verse 15, he is. Verse 21, you were. He is, you were, and the Apostle Paul then paints the picture of the Christless life. We were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Alienated, estranged from God. Not near him, but far from him. Hostile. Listen, we weren't just 
ambivalent about God. We weren't just nonchalant. Scripture says we were at war with him, doing evil deeds. Vicious, base, degenerate things. I think one reason that many believers are satisfied to be anti-crepidarians when it comes to the gospel is that we don't believe that what Paul says here is really true. Because we believe that we were just a little bad. And when you're only a little bad, you just need a little gospel. A shallow gospel will suffice because many believe that even before Christ, they were not that bad. They were good people, decent people. And quite frankly, most people they know are good and decent people. But by whose standards? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 14, asks, what is sin? And the answer is, sin is any, any lack, any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. In any way we break the law of God, in any way we don't transform our lives to what God requires, we are sinners, and sin is deep, and sin is perverse. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Above all things. Talk about first in rank. Above all else, the human heart is deceitful. Above everything else. The human heart is desperately sick. Desperate. Here means disastrously or incurably sick. One of the greatest deceptions of our hearts, your heart and mine, is to tell us that we are really not that bad. And beyond us, to tell that those around us are really not that bad. And, and what do we hear? You Christians, always so negative. Negative Nellies. Lighten up. Why can't you see how good people really are at heart? Well, we can't see it because it's not true. We're not good at heart. And we don't need the opinions of the world concerning this matter. We need to be expert in the truths of the gospel. Hearts are wicked. Hearts must be made new in Christ. We would have less trouble putting Christ above all things if we really understood that above all things, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked and how much we need Jesus to make our hearts not those things even now. Simon didn't believe Jeremiah. He believed himself to be a good person Better than most, proud, self-righteous, self-satisfied, self-sufficient. That's how he viewed himself when he invited Jesus to come to his house for dinner. And while they were eating dinner, a notoriously wicked woman was wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair and anointing his feet with oil. So Jesus said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet 
with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. We have little need of Christ first. We can live our lives as gospel ultra-crepidarians when we believe we need little forgiveness, when we believe we need only a little of Christ. It's only when we understand who we were that we are desperate and determined to rank Him as first because of who He can make us to be. Because of who He can make us to be, and that's what I want to look at finally this morning. Look in verse 22. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. So let's get the flow one more time. Verse 15 says, He is Verse 21 says you were, and verse 22 says you now are. This is who you are now. And Paul tells us here that we are reconciled to God at this moment in time. By dying on the cross, Christ restored a right and orderly relationship between you and God. No longer are you alienated. No longer are you a stranger. No longer are you at war with him. And listen to why. This is true. In order or so that he may present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Present you, me, holy, blameless, above reproach. This is what our Savior, who remember, needs nothing outside of himself. It's what he has chosen to do for us. And when the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, present you, what he's doing is using sacrificial language. Language associated with temple worship. God commanded in his word that sacrifice be made for sin. God said in his word that that sacrifice must be a lamb without spot or blemish. Listen, the Apostle Paul, the good Pharisee that he was, had presented his own lambs for sacrifice. He had watched the priest pick up his lamb and the lamb of others for inspection. He watched perhaps with bated breath as they all waited to hear from the priest whether the lamb they had offered would pass inspection, whether it would be found acceptable to pay for their sins so that they might find acceptance with God. And so when Paul writes, present you here, he's reminding us that one day, you and I, all of us, will be that sheep. We will have to stand inspection before God. Hebrews 4.13. No creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give 
account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I think that's a moment that many fear, even as believers. Or at least a moment that causes a little trepidation. The thought of this presentation moment. This before God moment. And this is why you and I must not be gospel ultra crepidarians. Instead, we must be experts in the gospel so that we have no fear of that moment. What Paul pictures here for us in these verses give us such hope and confidence in that moment. Because here's the picture. Christ, our good shepherd, carries you and me in his arms and presents us to the Father as if to say, here, Father, look at this one. He's perfect. Look at this one. She's perfect. Look them over. See? No spot. No stain. No blemish. Is that good news? The gospel tells us, unbelievably, that in the inspection, God will find nothing. No reason to reject us when we are in Christ. Is that good news? That's what Christ has done for you and for me when we're in Him, brothers and sisters and boys. And girls, we are perfect because of who he is and what he has done. And so we've come back full circle, haven't we? Who we are is only because of who he is. Hebrews seven twenty six. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Hebrews 9, Christ offered himself without blemish to God. He will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Because of who Christ is, the perfect, spotless sacrifice, God looks at you and me as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Is that good news? He sees you and me through the perfection of his Son. That's good news with which we can start this new year to dwell upon how God sees you and me through Christ. And here's more good news from Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you, listen, to the end. (laughs) He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a gospel ultra-crepidarian, you will not know these truths. And you will not know how they're at work in your life every day. And you will not have the security that they offer. And yours will be a glib gospel, inadequate to deal with the deep complexities of life, of sin, of sin in life, of what happens at the end of life and the fear that accompanies it. For this life, you'll be robbed of the peace of knowing that in Christ 
you are even in this moment in right standing with God. Do better for yourself. Know who you are because of who he is. Resolve, decide, as the Apostle Paul did, to know nothing except Christ and him crucified, him risen, and him coming again. Augustus, I'm almost done. Toplady. He was a famous 18th century reform pastor. And he was the writer of Rock of Ages, clap for me. Let me myself. Yeah, he wrote that song. And as he was dying on his deathbed, he saw amazing things, which caused him to say amazing things. And this is what he said. Oh, what delights. Who can fathom the joy of the third heaven? The sky is clear. There is no cloud. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And his last words, as he died, were these. No mortal man can live after the glories which God has manifested to my soul. That's the way I want to die. I don't know about you. That's the way I want to die. At peace. Eager to see Christ because I know the gospel so well and because I know the gospel is true. So rank Christ first in this new year so that you will know how deeply true the gospel is. So that you'll have the confidence and live in the confidence. I am reconciled to God through Christ. Be an expert in the gospel so that you do not fear so that you can help others not to fear in this world that's become a world of fear. Be an expert in the gospel so that you can offer hope to the hopeless and help in an age that so many feel all is lost. It's a new year, 2020, and I'm going to end with this quote again from Oswald Chambers. Let the past rest, but let it rest in the sweet embrace of Christ. Leave the broken, the irreversible past in his hands and step out into the invincible future with him as experts in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may it be true. You and you only, first in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.